Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this part of your word. Thank you for the riches that we keep finding as we delve deeper and deeper. This morning, as we think about the redemption that your son bought for us, the forgiveness of sins, we ask, please, that we would entrust our lives into Jesus' hands. Father, that when we come before you, we would be found in him, sins forgiven, redeemed out of the slavery that we were in. And we ask this to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. What's your life worth? What's your life worth? Right? Someone puts a gun to your head on the way out, kidnaps you, demands a ransom. What's your life worth? There's a couple of ways of calculating it, right? You could work out, well, the average earnings for an adult, whatever, in, in, in Sydney, and you, you kind of multiply that by the years that you've got left of working time, and you go, well, okay, that's, that's how much my life's worth. You could look backwards. If you add up the value of all of my possessions and my bank accounts and my, all the rest of it, how much is your life worth? Now, of course, that's monetary value. There's other ways of measuring it. You could go and ask your children, your family, how much would they miss you if you were gone? Try and put a value on it that way. I mean, a little bit harder to put a monetary number on it, although perhaps some of your family might. What's your life worth? How much would a redeemer have to pay to ransom you back? How much would your redemption cost? As we come to verse 7, redemption is what we're talking about. God redeemed us. That's a bit of a strange word, redemption. We don't use it particularly frequently anymore. And I think that the ways that we do use it aren't quite the way the Bible speaks of redemption. I mean, I, I think in redemption, the first thing I thought of was Shawshank Redemption. Right? Anyone seen Shawshank Redemption? A few? Yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, it's R-rated, so it's kind of, it's got some pretty intense moments, but um, I couldn't actually work out what the redemption in the movie is. If you can, come and tell me later. How do we use redeem? Well, we speak of somebody's redeeming qualities sometimes. Now, these aren't the Bible's view. These are common usage of the word. Someone's redeeming qualities. What do we mean by redeeming qualities? We usually mean that they're either ugly or not a particularly nice person and, and we have to kind of try and find something about them that's vaguely nice, right? That's what we talk about, redeeming, the way I like... That's not really what the Bible means. We talk about redeeming tokens or vouchers. McDonald's have got their monopoly thing on at the moment and you can take your, your little thing that you pull off the drinks or whatever it is and you go and redeem it for a packet of small chips or a, what is it, packet of small chips or a fruit bag apparently is what you can redeem those ones for. And when they say fruit bag, they mean an apple, right? It's glorified. That's not really it. We talk about redeeming yourself. Oh, he's... He's really in the doghouse. He's going to have to work hard to redeem himself, that one. That's not really it either. Now in the Bible, redemption means purchasing freedom. Liberation bought at a price. Freedom at a price. And so most often it will be used of slaves. A slave is redeemed as somebody pays the price to their master to buy their freedom. Your land could be redeemed if for some reason you had to, you had to forfeit it, you had to give it over for a, to, for a debt or whatever, you could come back and redeem it. You could pay the price to free your land. 
your very life could be redeemed. We saw in Exodus 21 the, the story of, well, not the story, the command of the man who's got the ox that's in the habit of goring people, you know, with horns and kind of the bull runs in Spain sort of thing. And, and the ox that's in the habit of goring people, and if you don't tie it up and it goes and gores somebody and kills them, your life is forfeit. Stone the ox and the owner. But that forfeit life can be purchased at a price. Redemption is the removal of our names from the debtors list by means of paying the debt. Freedom from bondage bought by paying the price. Which raises questions. So our passage, right, Ephesians 1.7, in him, in the one he loved, in God's beloved son, in him we have redemption. In Jesus we have freedom bought at a price. Freedom from what is my first question. And what's the price? Well, freedom from what? Now, we saw last week, if you were here as we considered adoption, that the old family that we were part of was a family in which we were slaves. They're the Cinderella picture. Slaves and slaves to sin. In fact, it was an internal kind of slavery. Slaves to our very nature. The thing we didn't want to do, that's what we did. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 6. It's by way of recap, right? This is, this is what he described, our old way of being. Romans 6 and verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the teaching with which you were entrusted. We were slaves to sin. I'm, I'm slave to no one. I'm no man's slave, someone will say. I live in Sydney. I'm a man of means and wealth. I'm independent. I can do whatever I want. I'm no man's slave. That is true, except yourself. You are slave to no man but yourself, your very sinful nature. And it is an internal slavery that has real consequences. Slaves to sin which leads to death. Or as Paul concludes the chapter, the wage of sin is death. To be in moral bondage, to be in slavery to immorality will bring us into conflict with the one who is moral. Brings us into conflict with God himself. It was a moral bondage that we were under. Slaves to sin resulting in death. And we see it in the discussion of redemption in Ephesians 1. See, Paul equates redemption well, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is it to be redeemed? It is to be freed from our slavery to sin and its consequences. Let's talk about forgiveness for a moment. There's another word that I think we often use in ways that perhaps the Bible doesn't quite. Forgive. What's forgiveness look like for you? Someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, someone owes you something. 
Oh, he'll have to pay. He's going to have to work. Forgiveness is earned. He's going to have to grovel for a while and then I'll forgive him. Ever experienced that? Yourself or somebody else to you? I hope that's not you because, to be honest, that's not forgiveness. That's justice. If you say, well, you owe me and you're going to have to pay me before I forgive you, that's not forgiveness. That's demanding the debt to be paid. You hurt me and so you're going to have to pay for it. That's not forgiveness. Now, the other extreme end is to say, well, let's just forgive and forget. It doesn't really matter. Let's just ignore it, put it in the past, sweep it under the carpet. It's a bit bumpy and big, that carpet, from all the things we've swept under it. But let's just ignore it. Nothing's happened. And we move on. Well, that's not forgiveness either. That's naivety. That's blinkers. That's ignoring the reality. If a hurt has occurred, if a debt has been, if there is a debt, it must be paid. If I lend you money, one of us is going to be out of pocket. Me, if you don't pay me back. You, if you do pay me back. Forgiveness requires acknowledging that a hurt has been done. Requires acknowledging that there is a debt. And then taking it on yourself. Saying, I've lent you that money. You can have it. I'll be out of pocket. I will be the one who bears the pain. I will be the one who takes the hurt onto themselves, the wrong onto themselves. That is forgiveness. That's a very Christian attitude. It's hard. Now, it's a very strange picture that we've got so far. We have redemption, freedom bought at a price. And if you remember, it's redemption from slavery to sin that brings death with it. The wage of our redemption, the price is death and we have forgiveness of sins. Somehow Jesus taking onto himself our sin and its consequences. And it's no wonder then that the price paid for our redemption is the blood of Jesus. In him, in the beloved son, we have redemption through his blood. Now you might have noticed if, you come, if you've been coming to church for a while that we talk about the death of Jesus quite a lot. The crucifixion, the cross of Jesus, his execution. I mean, we've, we've got a big, big cross up the front, right? But that's, that's not necessarily just for show. It's a reminder. The death of Jesus. Now why, why is it so important, the death of Jesus? Why do we go? It's very gory. It's kind of blood. Imagery of death, the Old Testament sacrifices blood on the altar. Why is it so important? Well, see, Jesus' death wasn't just a shame. It wasn't just a sad event, right? Oh, well, it was a, it was a young man cut short. Always a tragedy. He was a good teacher. We should have given him a few more years. Imagine what he could have taught if he, if he kind of got into the swing of things. No. Jesus' death wasn't even just an example. Here is the right way to live. Here is the moral life. Here is what it looks like to give up your life for others. It's, it's not an example. Jesus' death was payment of a debt. My death, he died. 
the consequences of my sin he faced. He redeemed me. He purchased me out of slavery to sin and the consequential death by dying in my place. He forgave my sins by taking the wage for my sin onto himself. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now as an aside, this has a lot to say in regards to Jesus being God. This is, this is an aside, okay? If you're talking about the Trinity and how do we know that Jesus is God and those sorts of questions. If Jesus isn't God, as some groups will claim, whether kind of within the Christian tradition or outside it, if Jesus isn't God, then God punished an innocent third party for my sin. If Jesus is God, then that is forgiveness. God taking upon himself the penalty for my sin. See, sin and law and justice matter to God. You might have heard someone say, well, God is love. I mean, all this talk of sin and death and judgment, it's not very... God is love. He's loving. He's just, he's just going to forgive everyone when we get there and it'll all be okay. As if God can somehow sweep under the carpet sin. It matters to God. Do you want to know how much it matters to him? There's a visible sign. We can see how much sin matters to God. It matters enough that he would hand over his only beloved son to be executed. That is how much sin and justice matter to God. That he might be both just Sin deserves its punishment and the one who justifies and the one who freely gives us redemption, freedom. Isn't that so different to how we often think of sin? Ah, oh, it was long ago. <laughs> it didn't really matter. It was, it was a little sin in the first place. I mean, no one will find out. It's not hurting anyone else. We trivialise sin. We think nothing of it. And yet God, it mattered so much to him that he gave his only son to purchase freedom from sin. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, Paul says, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. We mustn't treat sin lightly but become slaves to the righteousness of God. And why would he do it? Why would God redeem us out of this slavery? Why would he pay the price that he might forgive? So that we could be adopted as his sons, as we saw last week. And in the end, it's to the praise of his glorious grace, his generosity. Doesn't that word just get filled out all of a sudden when you realise that his generosity is his giving of his only son. I can't imagine giving up either of my two girls, to be honest. Three and one and a half and 
Given them up for the summer. I've only known them for a few years. This is God's beloved son, Jesus, from eternity God's beloved son, that he would hand over to be executed to the praise of his glorious grace, his extraordinary generosity. Redemption, freedom at a price, and that price was the death of God's beloved son. Now, how do we take hold of this? How does it become ours, this glorious gift that God will give? Who's the we that Paul is talking about? And we look back up to chapter 1 and verse 1 and we see who Paul is speaking to, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, to those who have faith. Now, again, perhaps a misunderstood word, faith. We often treat it as a very religious word. Oh, yeah, faith. It's the people the people in church you have faith. It's the thing that you do when you don't have knowledge. When you just got to jump in head first and it's kind of blind and, and off you go and faith. And We've turned it into this almost mystical term, very unhelpfully. To have faith in somebody is to entrust yourself into their hands. Who came to church this morning and somebody else drove you? Who came as a passenger in a car? Not half of us came. Who's ever been in a car as a passenger? Okay, right, that's all of us. When you climbed into the car, you entrusted your life into the hands of the driver. It might have been a very wise decision. It might have been a very foolish decision. But that is what you did. You had faith in that driver. And once you're on the highway and you're doing 110, there's nothing you can do about it. You're sitting there, they're driving, and you just hope they're not an L-plater doing 110 down the highway, right? Faith isn't a mystical word. It's entrusting ourselves. When you come before God, who are you going to trust in? Are you going to come before him and say, oh, well, look at my record. You're going to trust yourself into your own hands. Look at what I've done. My life of slavery to sin the wage for which is death. That would be a rather foolish thing to do, wouldn't it? Or will you stand before God entrusting your life into the hands of Jesus? I bring nothing, God. But you, you've generously provided a ransom for me in Jesus. It requires committing your life to Jesus, to entrust yourself to him and to his death, to trust that it will satisfy God. In a sense, it requires you to get into the car with him as the driver. Have you done that? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you entrusted yourself to him that his death is sufficient in your place? Now, of course, when you get into the car, it might turn out that the driver is, well, malicious. They want to do you damage. It might turn out that they're just plain incompetent. That they're crazy. That they shouldn't be driving. And if that's the case for Jesus, if the Bible is not true, if Jesus is some sort of liar, or even worse, a loony, he's just plain bonkers, then to entrust our lives into his hands would be a fatal mistake. 
But if the Bible is true, and if Jesus has died as a ransom for many, then to not entrust your life into his hands is going to be worse than a fatal mistake. For it will mean condemnation into eternity. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus? Now you might be unsure. Maybe you, you, I need to know more, David. I'm, I've got questions. That's fine. Let's talk about it. Let's organise to meet up. Let's have a coffee. We'll read the Bible together. We'll see what Jesus claims. But perhaps you've been coming to church for a while and it's not that you're unsure. You know it and you believe it and it's all there, but you just don't want to. You've failed to act. Maybe you've been playing games with God. Please don't. Please don't. Today's the time. Now. And maybe you're ready. You know it's true. You've seen your slavery and its consequences. You want to be free. You want the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. Now if that's you, it's as simple as talking to God. Praying, we call it. It's not not magical words. It's not some sort of incantation you have to do. It's beginning a relationship. It's saying to God, I know who I am and I know the problem that I face. Thank you that in Jesus you died in my place. Will you please forgive me? Will you please make me your own? That's the beginning of the relationship. See, how much is your life worth? Let's come back to that. How much is your life worth? I reckon we'd struggle to scrape together 50 grand, right? If there's a ransom demand, maybe our parents would get generous, maybe we'd borrow money. Maybe you can do more. Maybe you own a house, right? You can do a million bucks. I don't know. As it turns out, our life is worth a lot more than that. Such that God would send his beloved son to shed his blood to buy it. Have you committed your life to Jesus? Has he redeemed you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we know that on our own we are slaves to sin and all we deserve is condemnation and death. Thank you that Jesus died, that his death was our ransom. Thank you for your extraordinary generosity that you would do that. Please forgive us in Jesus. Make us yours. Amen.